Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Today I'm talking with Dan Flynn, Editor-in-Chief of Food Safety News. Welcome to the show, Dan. Good to be here. You know, I just I'd like to start maybe hearing a little bit about your your background and how your interest in food safety uh, started. Well, my personal interest started uh, basically through a friend, a lawyer friend, uh, who uh, is far better known in this than I am, uh, Bill Marler, who's the attorney in Seattle, who's kind of seen as the guru of the food safety, uh, you know, business from the side of the plaintiffs, people who are suing the the food companies who have poisoned people. He and I have known each other for many years. And uh, in about 1998, he and uh, uh, people that he had sued, the uh, lawyers had represented uh, Jack in the Box, uh, Dennis Clark and, and, or Bruce Clark and Dennis Stearns. The three of them had just come through suing each other and going at it for about five years after the Jack in the Box outbreak. And lo and behold, they formed their own law firm after that and the Marla Clark law firm came into being in 1998 and then Bill knew knew me as a journalist because that's kind of what I had been doing when we first met and he wanted somebody to go out and go to the sites of outbreaks uh, this was a little bit before the internet was as dominant as it is now and just in terms of having you know somebody with their feet on the ground uh, it was important for what they were doing so I spent uh, probably about five years just going around uh, when an outbreak would be occurring and try to find where the uh, where the victims were gathered and their families and such, and you know figure out what was actually happening. And then the law firm became involved as as a you know needs would arise. But that's kind of how I came to it. Uh, you know, otherwise it was something that, you know, I never would have, right. <laughs> never would have heard of. So, so there aren't anyway. too many people who say Hopefully. I'm going to get involved in food safety when I, yeah, in my career and so forth. Uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit about food safety news? I mean, how long the organization has been around, what it does, that sort of thing? Well, it's a food safety news, which is www.foodsafetynews.com is a digital news site. Uh, and it has been in existence for almost uh, a decade. And what had happened is that kind of two things. One, one is that uh, as the nineties went on, you know, we got into, you know, that whole period behind us. I then became involved with just doing communications things for the law firm. Uh, And we kept doing, you know, we kept kind of upping our game in terms of our presence and it kind of almost out of jest in about 2008. I don't even know who, who was making the joke was, you know, we've done it enough. We should, you know, we should become a new site. And then we went, Hey, <laughs> that's a bad idea. And, and, and really what drove it for uh, Bill Marler was a number of, I don't want to say major, but, but significant newspapers, newspapers like the Des Moines register and Portland, Oregonian, uh, other, you know, regional newspapers that had either excellent uh, uh, food writers that covered, you know, food and agriculture like the Des Moines Register did or, or public health had dropped those positions. So he was finding, you know, there's just a whole opening up here in terms of, you know, a lot of places where if 
you know, if it didn't become a big enough story that was covered, you know, outside, uh, it wasn't getting covered at all. So that's kind of what we, we went into it. So we, we were originally, you know, totally sponsored by the, by the law firm. And then about, you know, five years into it, we got connected with a agency in Kansas city. It's done a great job of making us, uh, a, you know, an advertising sponsored, uh, entity. And, uh, it's just kind of gone on from there. So, and we, you know, our approach is old fashioned. I like to say, because, you know, I'm an old, you know, an old print journalism guy and it's just, you know, we're out there to cover the news and, uh, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we always go at things from, you know, as, you know, as complete a look as we can give to any story and it's built a pretty good following. So. Now, now I'm wondering, uh, uh, listeners probably, most listeners probably don't follow uh, food safety very closely, but there was a major piece of food safety legislation, I would say, passed in, in 2011. It's the Food Safety Modernization Act. And, and of course, that's over six years ago. So, so people might think, well, you know, it seems like maybe there was an issue. Congress dealt with it. And so, you know, would you say that the passage of this legislation brings U.S. food safety regulations up to where they need to be? Well, I would say we're going to find out, and what's somewhat surprising to a lot of people is that even though it was signed by President Obama, I think on January 4th, 2011, the Food Safety Modernization Act is kind of only now coming into actual existence because, uh, you know, FDA as any other federal agency was required to go through a laborious uh, rule writing process in order to to you know, bring the details of it to fruition, and that that basically took uh, five years. So we've only in the last year started to see uh, you know the full force of some of these uh, changes coming to to being. And some of them are you know we're going to have to see what uh, you know what happens. The one thing that the Food Safety Modernization Act does is it gives the same uh, force of law to imported food as does the domestic food, but you know, how do you do that? I mean, do you, uh, does that mean that, you know, when there's an, you know, an outbreak involving a parasite on that's probably on some kind of a fresh produce that's probably coming from Mexico, does that mean that we can put, you know, FDA inspectors in the ground or on the ground, you know, in Mexico as fast as we could if they were in California? <laughs> right. Yeah, you kind know, of a question. Yeah, you know, I think that that's <laughs> anyway. a that's a great point because a lot of people I think don't realize that the passage of the legislation that's sometimes the quick and easy part when it can take years or sometimes even more than a decade for some of these things to actually get through the regulation writing process and and affect real people on the ground. Definitely. And and I think it's to, to fair be fair to FDA, I think they've done a as thorough a job in the rule writing as uh, possible. I say that in the sense that they really take into account, you know, the reality that's out there and they, on several different aspects of it, they pulled back and, you know, started and, you know, stopped and, and, uh, you know, got a, you know, different point of view. So, you know, it's really now that we're going to find out, you know, from here on, we're going to find out what, you know, what it's all actually going to mean once it's tested in the field. Right. So, you know, some people would say that food safety regulations are 
unfair, especially to smaller producers, because these smaller farms and so forth don't have the resources to deal with all that, you know, administrative red tape and procedures and, and big agribusinesses do. And there's a concern that this actually can force these kind of smaller producers out of the business. And, and I'm wondering, do you think our current food safety system makes life harder for, for small local producers? Well, for, first, w- w- one thing that's important is that when it comes to fresh produce, uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act specifically exempted uh, any you know any farm that was producing more or less than twenty five thousand. I think it is uh, to to exempt the small uh, producer. That was called the Tesler Amendment, came for Montana Senator uh, John Tesler. And uh, so there's a bit of sensitivity to that. The other thing is that, uh, you know, even though, and you can certainly say this puts FDA on the farm, you know, in a big way for the first time, what they're doing is they're really doing contracts with uh, state ag departments who have traditionally kind of been on the farm <laughs> uh, from the get-go to represent what's what FDA has to do. So I, I think in terms of, you know, Anybody having dramatically new things, uh, you know, hitting small producers is probably not going to, uh, you know, be a concern. But it's, you know, it's definitely out there. I mean, you, and one of the places that it's, uh, you know, come up and remains as kind of a, uh, you know, area that's being worked on is uh, water quality and what, you know, if, if, if not so much irrigation water, but water that's used in, in, uh, you know, by small producers and how how you deal with with that. So that's something that FDA has been giving more time to. So, so about these inspections, uh, I I don't think most people most people might have an image in their head and so forth. I, I'm wondering how rigorous are they? I mean, uh, are they the kind of thing that, for instance, are, are they generally unannounced or do, do, you know, producers have time to prepare and maybe, you know, get things right before the inspector comes or, or how does that work? Well, generally, you know, it's generally an FDA inspection. It's not unusual that there's not a, an announcement, you know, they don't say call you up and, you know, next, next month we're coming in. What, what they do is they probably come in the afternoon of the day, they want to start say we're here, you know, let you know we're here because they typically take from a couple of days to a couple of weeks that they're, uh, you know, going to be on premises, uh, you know, doing what they do. Uh, so there's not, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe if they, I don't know what you would do the night before to right. get ready That'd for That'd be pretty it. tough. Yeah. And uh-huh. what, what they're going to do is pretty uh, exhausting. I mean, in terms of, or, or uh, you know, it's thorough. Uh, for example, they're going to do some, they're going to do environmental testing where they're doing, um, in swabs from different areas like food contact areas, or they might look at, you know, if they see condensation in a ceiling that's dripping down onto a food contact area, they might go there, but you, you would never know as the, you know, as the, uh, uh, producer where exactly they're going to go with that kind of testing. So I don't know what you would, how you'd prepare for it. So, so, so this isn't the kind of thing where you can, you know, slip the guy at 20 or something like that and say, Hey Bert, can you look the other way at this or that, 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 that in your sense, that in your view doesn't really, that's not the kind of thing that, that really happens. Not, not, uh, I mean, 
the way that the way that I think FDA works in teams and and uh, just the whole kind of culture that they've uh, developed, I, I think pretty well you know prevents that. Uh, you know, there's been there's been instances. Uh, you know, with USDA, we have you know with, for meat and for poultry and for eggs and uh, et cetera, or now even catfish that falls under USDA inspection under the Food Safety Inspection Service. Uh, that's where you have a continuous inspection. So you get, you know, the same inspectors in the same plant, you know, every day. And uh, I think that's, even though there's not many examples of it, but I can name a couple where, you know, for example, an alien inspector in Iowa was bribed by the, uh, by the, uh, the Austin Jack DeCoster uh, company called a quality that was back during the 2010 when the, there was a massive recall of shelled eggs for salmonella. Uh, so this egg inspector was, you know, given several hundred dollars to to uh, approve something. But uh, it would seem that you know you're more likely to build a relationship with somebody that's on the premises every day than you are, you know, somebody that's coming in that you haven't probably seen before. Right. Sure. That, that makes so, sense. Yeah. Anyway. No. What do you think of, uh, I guess you'd call it sort of a libertarian argument that what we really need in, in our food system is actually less government regulation and, and just replace that with more transparency. So, you know, as long as consumers have good information on the procedures and the food safety records of producers, that the market's going to take care of food safety a lot more efficiently, a lot more effectively than sort of a complex bureaucratic system of regulations uh, is there is there in your sense anything to that or or not well the the, the problem with it is that uh you know, it frequently comes up with the raw milk uh example uh if you know we've had states that say well you can't you just give them a slip that says that you know there's been no regulation for this you know raw milk and the producers not uh, the, you know the Farmers not uh, liable for it, etc. Well, if you know kids get sick with E. coli and end up requiring hundreds and millions of dollars worth of medical care, who's picking up that bill? <laughs> I mean, uh, even even a you know even a lawyer like Bill Marler can't sue a little farmer that doesn't have any insurance and doesn't have any assets and uh, everything. So what ends up happening is that those cases end up you know on the public one way or the other. So, and I, you know, I'm not, I just, as background, I'm not personally, uh, you know, hostile to these folks that like this raw stuff. I, what I always tell them is, you know, I like raw oysters too, but, you know, I'm, I'm not feeding them to, a, you know, a six-year-old. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Blue Bottle Coffee. You know, the days, they're getting shorter, weather's starting to get cool, at least here in Cincinnati it is, and nothing complements a crisp, cool autumn day, quite like a cup of coffee, but not just any coffee. Don't settle for any coffee. I'm talking about coffee that's so delicious, so flavorful that, that you realize, oh my gosh, I've been drinking subpar coffee my whole life. I'm talking about Blue Bottle Coffee. Blue Bottle Coffee is great coffee, and I say that as a 
certified coffee snob. I don't actually have a certification, but you know what I'm saying? I'm very picky about coffee, right? They have insane dedication to coffee. They have the most delicious. They have sustainable beans uh, and they get shipped to you within like a couple of days of actually being roasted. That's super important because fresh beans are by far the best. And so right now, Blue Bottle Coffee has a great deal for Pops Guys listeners. Go to bluebottlecoffee.com slash TPG for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. And while you're there, be sure to check out their digital holiday store because Blue Bottle Coffee makes a great gift. Bluebottlecoffee.com slash TPG. That's bluebottlecoffee.com slash TPG. You brought up. You brought up lawsuits, and I'm glad you did because I wanted to ask you about that because there's sort of a, I guess you could say a related argument that uh, as long as people are able to sue producers for unsafe food, just the very threat of those lawsuits should be enough to keep the food supply safe and that, you know, that more regulations are just going to impose unnecessary costs. And of course, producers pass those costs along to consumers. And the thinking is, well, we can do away with all that as long as there's that reasonable threat of lawsuits, which will keep the producers in line all on their own. Well, yes, that's, uh, it's definitely an argument, but if you go back to the day when E. coli in, in beef was just rampant, uh, Bill Marler and a couple of other attorneys uh, across the country uh, probably took, and they probably cost the beef industry a billion dollars between the, the three or four attorneys I'm thinking of. Uh, but that was not, you know, that was not enough to cause the beef industry to make the changes that need to make. The beef industry had to have, the desire to make those changes on its own. Bill Marler used to, you know, have the, he used to, I don't want to say joke, but he used to make the case that, you know, he wishes that they would put him out of business and, and solve the problem rather than, you know, just allow these hundreds of millions of dollars to become a cost of doing business. And, and thankfully the, you know, the beef industry is, you know, they virtually eliminated the problem. I mean, it's always going to be a problem, but not in the way that it was the days when we were having, you know, millions and millions of pounds of of hamburger being recalled with E. coli contamination, you know, appears to be in the past and it's through the actions that, that they take. And I think that the, the hurt that they were feeling from the, you know, from the trial attorneys was not the major reason. So, 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 so in other words, what, what what you're saying, what it sounds like you're saying is that basically that, well, you call it the cost of doing business that if it's just lawsuits that they can kind of build that into their model, it's not going to be enough to change their behavior on its own. But if you combine that with a reasonable regulatory regime, then you might actually get some longer term changes to make the food supply safer. Correct. And then, and they, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an instant easy problem for them to solve. Uh, and, and one thing that, you know, that uh, USDA was good at was setting up the environment to where they could try different interventions and, you know, and sort of as they go. Uh, I, you know, I do think that they were driven by, you know, you know, when you see, you know, pictures of, you know, 12 year old kids in the paper that are, uh, you know, on, uh, ventilators, uh, you know, for me a hamburger, that gets pretty hard to tell. Or there was a case of the, this lovely dancer in Minnesota who, you know, one, you know, one ha- hamburger crippled her. So, 
they were driven by that. They didn't, they just wanted to, you know, they get it behind them. Yeah, so. Definitely. So, you know, I, 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 for, I forgot to ask, it's one of the most, most important questions, perhaps. So you deal with this stuff all the time. What do you see as the biggest food safety concerns or issues right now? Well, the, the, the main one, I don't know exactly how to say this, whether it's, uh, I want to say complexity or what the demand is of food uh, and how complex that's getting uh, is, is a better way to explain it than just saying globalization. But uh, we as a country are becoming more, you know, demanding of different products from different places in massive quantities. <laughs> I mean, we, we now import, you know, basically about 20% of our food, uh, virtually 98% of our seafood. Uh, you know, it, it, it's becoming, uh, you know, the world is our oyster can uh, of a demand. And that's getting, I think that's getting harder and harder. You know, the faster you run, you still can't, you know, you still can't keep up with it, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to change because, you know, we like having blueberries in our pancakes that are fresh in January when it's, you know, <laughs> when they're not being grown in the United States. And, and we just have more uh, ethnic diversity where uh, people who have come here bring with them their, you know, their food tastes and, you know, go looking for those products. And uh, that's, a, that's just a, uh, uh, it's kind of like, trying to drink out of a yeah, you know, fire, a fire hydrant, so, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> so so basically that just creates a lot of problems i would guess in terms of regulating that because if the because uh, i know a lot of seafood right is is processed in china and and things like that so it's a lot harder for us to ensure the the safety of food that's that's packaged uh, overseas than uh, than stuff that's you know being packaged and processed here in the united states Right. And, and, uh, you know, China always comes up. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, if we go look at our graduate schools, we get, you know, a lot of the best, uh, uh, people in, you know, various biological and laboratory sciences are, are these, uh, Chinese students who are going to go back to China and they're going to be running their, their food safety system. But, you know, we don't trust them, to, you know, for our imports. I say that because, somewhat in jest, but, uh, you know, it, it's amazing what, you know, people react to and, and that all figures into very definitely to what, uh, you know, FDA and the other agencies will have to, you know, to do, because uh, we we have very much bought into a world food safety system and, you know, we lead it. There's no, no doubt about that. You know, whether you talk about the European union or, you know, or Asia, you know, they're looking to FDA, you know, for where we're, we're going. Um, but the public is not always there with us. I mean, so anyway. Now, what do you think about uh, current FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb? I mean, I know he's only been in office since mid-May, but I'm wondering if you formed an impression of how committed he seems to be to enhancing the safety of the food supply. Well, let me say first that uh, it became somewhat, I mean, I don't want to make more out of this than it is, but uh, the Food and Drug Administration is basically, uh, you know, the, I don't want to say the sexy part, but but the the drug 
the drug and medical device part, which require you know various pre-approvals from FDA, uh, it seems to usually hold the fascination of the FDA commissioner. And we, we began making, we and others began making somewhat of an issue out of that over with uh, Dr. Hamburg, who was the commissioner uh, under uh, the Obama administration for seven to eight years. So we were kind of, kind of expecting, you know, that when this happened. First, you know, Scott Gottlieb is a, you know, he's exactly who, who you'd expect to be FDA commissioner. You know, he's a incredibly bright, you know, Mount Sinai physician. He was the deputy you know, commissioner, uh, you know, before, uh, you know, anybody that was sitting around saying, you know, who was going to be FDA commissioner, you know, would have expected him. It was not going to be, you know, there were rumors about, you know, hedge fund managers or whatever being named to it. That was never, that didn't happen anyway. So one thing we have noticed is he does seem to be plugging into food. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, made you know he went to the uh, uh, meeting that the uh, state agricultural directors had. They have a very prestigious organization that uh, you know was dealing with some of this, and he went and gave a major address there. He's done a couple of other things that seem to be indicating that you know he's going to be giving equal attention to food as he does to the other side of the house, and uh, that's you know that's I think is going to be. Uh, it's going to be welcomed by, you know, if, if I would say that if he goes next year to the, uh, the international, uh, food, uh, the, the IT, uh, it's one of the most prestigious groups. I'm uh, having a blank for the name. Oh, I always get the acronyms I, messed up myself. They, I know. A <laughs> uh, couple, couple of conferences where, you know, we're sort of seen as it, where you need to be to stay up to date on these things. If he goes to those next year, that will that will probably be the first time that a FDA commissioner has been there in a decade or so. Uh, and I think that's what the food safety community is looking for. And if that happens, it will be encouraging. So, oh, well, that's it's good to hear that early signs are, are encouraging. There, um, uh, let me let me end on on a hypothetical here. Uh, let's say you were FDA commissioner. What steps would you take to make our food safer? Well. My my steps would would be in uh, you know kind of action steps, not not uh, organizational. There, you know, there's been a organizational you know recommendation out there by many different entities for a long time that goes nowhere, which is that instead of having 15 you know food safety agencies at the federal level, we should just have one. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. But my idea would be to have small teams, you know, small interagency teams that would really be empowered to, you know, chase something to the ground. And, and by that, you know, you take the area of, uh, you know, we're importing all this fish, you know, we always have issues uh, of fish processing and having, having uh, issues when they get inspected. Uh, why not have a team that's, you know, FDA and, and uh, marine fisheries, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, others that would, would make sense, four or five people, you know, who would start chasing some of those kinds of issues to the ground and would have the full support of the FDA commissioner or whoever else it took, um, you know, to make it happen instead of them being, you know, the 
FDA finds something out in inspection and then they, you know, run it up to the district and the district goes, you know, back to DC and then DC goes to, you know, find the other agencies that should be involved. And, you know, by then it's two or three years later, that's actually been an issue that I know it's been the office of the inspector general, the general accounting office, but you know, that FDA has been, uh, kind of written up on, which is, you know, why can't these things be, you know, done quicker and, and, finished quicker uh, you know why does you know why do these cases stay open uh, so long and, and presumably the entity continues to put out uh, adulterated food but I, I, I think if, if they would just you know not be so structured and and uh, uh, yeah no, it, be it, more flexible you could yeah it's, it sounds like I mean that that I think is something we hear not just in the uh, food safety community, but for, for a lot of government and you run into those problems, I'm, I'm assuming with, uh, with turf battles and interagency communications and that sort of thing. And those can be, those can be really thorny problems, I'm sure. Right. And it just adds time. I mean, it, it and if, you know, if you have a finding that adulterated food is being put out, which is something that we've put people in jail for, you know, why do we let it go on for as long as we do? Uh, and that's, you know, like I said, that's what these audits have, have found in the past. So now I think, uh, isn't it with the food safety modernization act for the first time, the FDA has the authority to, uh, to pull foods and not have the recalls be voluntary. I, I think, I think that's what I recall reading about that. And that would be a, a change from past policy. Yes. Uh, that, that is true. And it's also true that they now have the ability, which they've done a number of times to withdraw the registration. And if you don't have a registration, you can't sell food. Uh, so that that has been a really important one uh, in these cases, particularly in these cases where you have a, uh, um, I'm thinking of the peanut butter plant down in New Mexico uh, that they did that too. Uh, you're, you're putting out a product that sends up as an ingredient and lots of other products. So if the firm isn't, you know, isn't recalling it quick enough, you can both recall it and, and turn it off by suspending the registration. Right. So, so. I, I would imagine, though, that we wouldn't expect to see a lot of FDA initiated recalls because the producers themselves would want to do it themselves before they were forced to do it, I would guess. And that's, yeah, and that's been the condition. I mean, the um, you know, you're, if you're in a position where they want you to do a recall, you may as well do a voluntary recall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and save yourself a lot of headache. But. Yeah, definitely. So, so it sounds like that we, uh, we've, we've made some strides and that there's some good stuff in uh, FSMA and it's just a matter now in the next few years of, of seeing how that actually plays out on the, on the ground as these, uh, these portions of the law actually go into effect. I would agree. The, you know, the, we have sort of this baseline number that we're starting from, which is, one out of six Americans get sick from foodborne illness a year. 128,000 are hospitalized. 3,000 are, are die, killed. So we should look for those numbers to start to go down. Uh, if you know, in the next, I would say, the next five years right. would be the, the guess, time when we find out. I guess that would be the that would obviously be the mark of success because that's what it's all about: making sure that people don't get uh, don't don't become ill or, or die because of the food that they eat. Right, because our whole approach is to go from when we were previously reactive to 
a system that should be preventative. Yeah, absolutely. And anyway. All right. Well, with that, we will close. Dan Flynn, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. That's it for this Politics Guys interview. Thanks for listening. We hope you liked what you heard and that you'll check out today's sponsor, Blue Bottle Coffee. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com slash TPG for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. You know, listener support is a huge help to us and we truly do appreciate it. If you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon link. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, you can share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also really does help out a lot. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at mail at politicsguys.com or our Facebook page where you can message us and we post stuff throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And the executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show is produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.